Hello and welcome to this episode of Radio Free HPC. This is the show where we talk about supercomputing, high-performance computing, and other tech topics. I'm Dan Olds, joined as always by our co-hosts, Henry Newman from Seagate Government Solutions, Shaheen Khan from Orion X, and Jesse Lanham, our millennial standout co-host. Now let's get to the show. Hello and welcome to another scintillating episode of Radio Free HPC. I'm Dan Olds, as always, and as always, joined by our co-hosts. We've got Shaheen Khan down the valley. How's it going, Shaheen? Excellent, Dan. How are you? I'm good. And we have Jesse Lanham from the campus of Purdue University. Hello, hello. Jesse, what's up? Doing okay? Nothing much. Surviving the cold. Okay. And speaking of cold... Uh, we've got Henry Newman from the great white north of Minnesota. Henry, what's the temperature out there? I have no idea outside. It's it's cold in my basement. I haven't been here in a week, and I've got 68 days left in Minnesota, just so you know. Very good to know. Henry, the temperature in your house reminds me of multi-tier storage. <laughs> <laughs> he is in the cold, cold part of storage. He's like a tape drive somewhere. He's a tape drive <laughs> in a tape bar- is- it's tape drive in Iron Mountain right here, down here. Exactly. <laughs> All right, lull. So there's our lull, as always predicted and as always comes through. We always have the lull after the introductions and after Henry kills the conversation with this discussion of the cold. <laughs> but so... I bet you're all asking yourselves, what comes after the lull? Well, here's what comes after the lull. Today, we're going to talk about one of the, I would say it's one of the most significant initiatives launched by a company, and that's Intel's One API architecture, where they're looking to have one API to rule us all. That's right. Which is... Very ambitious project. Very ambitious. Huge. Reminds me a little bit of... Project Monterey from way back, but this is not only going to cover CPUs as API, it's going to cover GPUs, FPGAs, and whatever other kind of assist processors you have out there. It's all a manner of accelerators. And this is only for Intel products, correct? Not necessarily. It's all open source, so others can oh, okay. Well, hold on a little bit. From what I've read, that's what I was curious about too. Some of this is open source. Some of it might be open source, but might not be open sourced. And it is for Intel products specifically. What about NVMe storage? This is more focused on accelerators for compute. And systems. Okay. So is this an API for a compiler or for coding or what is it? For coding. So think of CPUs, GPUs, FPGAs, other manner of accelerators, you name it. They've got it under the umbrella. So every piece of hardware has a hardware interface that identifies itself to the layer above. And the layer above is they designed a new language called Data Parallel C++ that is more suitable for compatibility with existing stuff. They've got libraries, debugging tools. And then you got middleware on top of that and applications on top of that. Well, yes, very hard thing to do. Does this mean I can write in one language, everything in C or everything in X or Y or Z, and it gets all translated and code gets generated? The preferred model is that you take your existing stuff and you migrate it to this data parallel C++. And then from then on, that's how you maintain your code. Okay, so it is data parallel C++. That, that's what I was looking for. That, I believe, is the main play there, yes. Yes, and they're even thoughtfully going to provide a translator for CUDA. 
which is very nice of them. I believe, in fact, that is what compelled them to build Data Parallel C++ the way it is, because something like 80-90% of CUDA code just moves automatically, and the rest is highlighted and annotated for the developer to go figure out. And all the comments move across, so it's pretty maintainable, human-readable code What is what you get. Yeah, but hard to keep it updated forever and keep it updated fast. No, no, you switch to DPC++ from then on. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah. How hard is it to make that initial transfer? Jesse, if you got 5 million lines of code, probably more than a week. Yeah. <laughs> also, I mean, it, some... depends, it depends who's doing it, Jesse. Well, it depends <laughs> on who's doing it. Well, it always depends. <laughs> There's, but I mean, Who's assigned to the task. I mean, you look at some of these really major HPC simulations, and you literally have millions of lines of code. This is not something... That's an overnight process. And I, I suspect that people who are going to use this in some of these big projects are going to wait and make sure it's around in five or six years. And it's a growing ecosystem because porting codes to any framework is a long, involved, and hard process. Yes. I mean, we saw that in the DARPA HPCS program when there were two new languages proposed that didn't get a lot of traction. And it'd be nice. In the Unix wars, that was always the big thing. How well can you port between this Unix and that Unix? No one wants to go through that hell again. And that's why POSIX was created in the first place back in the 80s. That is correct, yes. I, I know but, it was correct. But even, <laughs> that didn't, but even that didn't help all that much. It helped where it was supposed to. The whole POSIX 1170 standardized a whole bunch of operating system level APIs. Yes. But language level APIs and then the hardware underneath it. I mean, the big problem was Big Endian and Little Endian. Once that got fixed, a whole lot of stuff really eased up in a big way. Well, now I'm actually thinking about your comment about Big Indian or Little Indian because I'm allowed to think about things, Shaheen. I just don't have to speak like some other people on the call without thinking. But I think you're characterizing your I.O. processing here. Is that <laughs> <laughs> A little bit. I'm reading this product brief. <laughs> I think there were issues with conversion with Companies that had the same Andean. Yes, that's true. But it's kind of irrelevant to what we're talking about. Pretty Well, it is. I mean, you got the hardware. Then you got the firmware or whatever interface driver software you got on top. And then you got the language. And then you got the compiler. And then you got the libraries. And every step of the way is liable to be different from platform to platform. So the permutation of things that can go wrong is not well isolated. Yes. And Gene, I would go with Dan, I would disagree with that. I think there are parallels because the idea of moving things into a framework and then having it be available to you 20 years later and being able to build upon it has been a challenge since the beginning of computing. And if there has been nothing such as this, really, there's been languages, yes, there's been Fortran, there's been COBOL, but there's no been single framework like this. So, Well, Java tried to do that by optimizing for portability and giving up a bit of performance. And maybe a lot of performance. A bit? No, no, hang on. It gave up a lot of performance in the beginning, but then it started chipping away at it. It got better. It got way better. But, no, the, but, but the, the applications the, changed to make them work better. Java, Java still can't move any data. Java still doesn't do 
great memory management. I don't agree with that. Well, it runs a lot of software in this world. Oh, it does, but the software has changed to make it work well with Java as opposed yeah, so to Java can... changing to get better. Mm. Well, the language has stayed the same, but the JVM and the just-in-time compilers and some of the even pre-compilers and there's been a lot of technology put in and hardware acceleration for some of the things, atomic memory to the extent that it exists. All of those really helped speed up the language a lot over the years. But my point anyway was that it optimized for portability and it gave up performance. In the HPC world, you don't get to have that trade-off. You can't optimize for portability. Right, because yeah. you, there is a performance upper bound and it, you can't get your job done if you don't optimize for performance well you know if you're not within like 90 95 percent of the fastest possible you could get you're not going to do it oh hey i got a point here let's get back to the topic is this a good thing is it a possible thing i believe it is a good thing and i believe it is possible for many cases i think it's a good thing for intel are people already able to start working with this like i know that it says beta next to it but have people actually started like digging in and using it oh if it's a beta it's definitely lots of people have used it they don't get to beta unless they've had a lot of people looking at it they got tons of quotes and users and there's a dev cloud that you can log into and kick the tires and and of course many of their cloud partners would want this because that simplifies the configurations that they're going to want to offer their users. Ooh, so I think I, 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 no, I'm going to I'm going to disagree. I'm going to be a contrarian on that one. I think the cloud vendors will want to do their own. I don't think they're going to depend on a hardware vendor. The thing is, is it locks you into hardware. It's open source. Anybody can use it, but I don't see. It's I don't think the cloud source. Okay, it's I thought not Gene open told source. me was. I know. I thought Gene said it I corrected. Maybe that. I should have listened to you. <laughs> the whole yeah, yeah, right. The whole purpose of this was to create a portable open environment. That's why they've done it. So they're not yes. going to like replicate. It's open that anybody could use it, but it ain't all open source. Sheen, the cloud vendors want to have a heterogeneous environment. They're not going to depend on a single hardware vendor. I don't buy it. I'm going to, I'll challenge you on that. But they are going to want to offer a whole range of hardware configurations. Correct. So if, so if this only works with Intel. So if you make it easy. Yep, if this only works with Intel hardware, they'll do their own. I think the components of this that can be open sourced are going to be open sourced. I think based on what information, Gene? Based on what I thought they said when they announced it back at SC19. They did. I just saw a footnote in one of those documents saying that some stuff will be open sourced or may be open sourced. And that's what kind of makes me wonder. Well, we need this. And there are other efforts. The Europeans have similar efforts to try to simplify the development environment and open source it. If we need this, Shaheen, then you're looking at a whole bunch of stuff that's going to be made obsolete by it if people truly pick this up in big numbers. Like what, Dan? NVIDIA? Yeah, I don't disagree with what Dan said, but this has got a long way to go, in my opinion, to be picked up in big numbers. Yes. Yes, we need it. But again, you got a big project at one of the labs. You got a big project at an automaker. You're jumping in and doing this is a significant risk for the long term that it's going to be there. Well, I'd like to back up and say, I'm not positive that this is even possible to do for that wide a range of devices. I believe it is a hard thing to do. And there's a law of conservation of difficulty. Sometimes you just move it around, but you can't eliminate it. And 
it's okay sometimes to put that burden on the developer. But to simplify how code runs on different accelerators is a definite need right now. There is no disagreement with anybody on this call, Shaheen. It's a matter of whether it can actually be done yeah. in, in a reasonable yeah. time frame and meet the performance requirements with an ever-changing architectural landscape. Precisely. So for everybody, with your guys' three opinions, where do you think this is going to be in three years? I think... This is the way to get a big lull. <laughs> I think... I'm abstaining. I'm telling you right now, I'm abstaining. Sure. I hate to say it, but I think it's going to be declared a success and then say, let's never speak of it again. (laughs) (laughs) No, I actually have more hope on this. I think it's a definite need. I think the number of accelerators out there is so large that a tool like this will have a play. It may not be universal because there's competition. The Europeans are doing theirs. Others are doing theirs. There's indigenous. Where are the Europeans doing one API for everything? Europeans don't own anything that they can do that with. Yes. Dano, I thought the European Exascale project has a whole bunch of software development components to it. Not along those lines. Along those lines. Sure, for RISC V. There is definitely that for RISC V, but some of the stuff for RISC V isn't limited to it. No, but that's like ARM chips. What Intel's talking about is the whole x86... 90, what, 5% or higher of what we do, that's a big deal. And no one else can do that other than Intel. So you're saying they will succeed then? I think that their reach exceeds their grasp on this one. You just think it's too hard to do? Yes. I don't think it's going to be successful in a short period of time if it is. Maybe in Jesse's career horizon, we'll be able to determine it if it's finally successful, but definitely not in three of ours. I think for data parallel, high data intensity kind of applications, they can do it and they will be successful. Sheen, 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 you address my 5 million line code problem. Who's yeah. going to port? Who's going to port it? Who's going to use it? Well, Not me. remember that. Remember, Henry. A lot of these AI codes aren't even written yet. All right. For new codes, I I think there is a potential, but there's also the risk that the plug is pulled. So yeah, you've got to make these trade-offs when you're doing development and you're starting it. I think it's a challenge. But the bigger picture of it is that AI is coming. New applications are coming. New frameworks are coming. And sure, there's a big body of it already, but the biggest growth is yet to come. There are 65 different accelerators out there. People are going to want to try them. So why not have an environment that simplifies that? You've got to tell that to the person that has to decide where they're going to spend their person power. I almost said manpower. Person power budget. (laughs) Good job, Nana. Are they going to try and port those 5 million lines of code? Or are they going to sit back and take a wait? I think the 5 million line of code thing is a red herring. You know what? We're Mm going to have to agree to disagree. We've gone in circles for the last four minutes. He's been timing. I'm going to agree to disagree myself, yes. And the fact that Dan and I agree on something should be noted. And it should be frightening to all of you because that (laughs) means we're probably right. We should start keeping a list of like our predictions and see what happens. Or both of you are wrong. That's also possible, you know. Hasn't happened yet. Both of you being wrong? At least that we'll admit. (laughs) (laughs) Not always right, but never admitting. (laughs) Yes. Well, I hear noises in the background. You do. I hear a little something, too. I'm wondering, Henry, is there a reason why nobody should ever be online ever this week? Yes, there is, Dan, and it has actually 
online has a new meaning. Uh oh. It's called key fobs. So I was in another city and I had a white Ford Bronco. Um, Looks like a bug, Dan. It was not a Bronco. It was an escape. And I walked out to my car and saw another white Ford. Yeah. And, you know, after you've rented enough cars, everything looks alike. Sure. So I hit the button, walked up to the car, and opened the trunk. And there was a bunch of kids' stuff in it. Not yours. Not, no, no. I didn't have any kids' stuff in the car. There was car seats and high chairs and a kid's stuff bag with a bunch of little toys. And I'm going, I got into somebody's car. And then I looked and I'm going, I had escaped. This was a, what was it? Explorer or something? It was an Explorer. It was an Explorer. Wow. It was wow. kind of unbelievable. So this is personal experience. This is not an article in a paper. <laughs> this is not an article. This happened to me on Tuesday afternoon. He is living proof of his wow. own concept. Wow. wow. So wow. it's bad. That is a shocker, Henry. Yep. Color me shocked. So anyway... Did you try it with any other cars in the area just to see no, how many you could once get? Once I got into somebody else's car and I heard the click and I'm going, not my car. I went and found what white car I had, got in it, and left. Start walking around the parking garage, clicking my magic key, going, okay, how many of these work? No, it wasn't a garage. It was a parking lot of oh. a hotel outside. No garage. With a bunch of toys underneath your arm because you are essentially <laughs> the Grinch. <laughs> yep. So that's my story for the week. That is incredible. It's a good one. It's a good one. That is something. But you know, that just brings us to another sound in the background, and that's the sound. Of our catch of the week. Jesse, let's start with you. Okay, so I was reading an article in the EE Times about the fact that the Department of Defense has built a supercomputer, which is no particular new thing, but they have built it inside of a shipping container so that they can send... That's not news. That's not news. No, it's not news, but it was news to me. Okay. And I thought it was cool. <laughs> so that's why we're talking about it. Okay. So, shipping container, tactical supercomputer, we can ship them places for AI problems. And I didn't know about that, and I thought it was pretty neat. Really? There are burning AI problems that need processing right now on the spot that's apparently when they were talking about it in this article was ai on the edge quote unquote yes yes which i did my reading on yeah i sitting here trying to imagine what specifically you would need a tactical supercomputer right then and there for but well certainly learning at the edge is a thing and it's a growing thing and given that 5G is coming and it's going to make things faster and lower latency. Exactly where you do the processing becomes a very interesting question. Because on the one hand, you really could do it close to the scene, but then the closer you do it to the scene, the less access you have to all that other data. Mm -hmm. There's a whole bunch of different decision criteria that makes it go this way or that way. It's very exciting stuff. Very much so. What do you got, Shaheen? I've got a story, actually, it's also cybersecurity, of a phone app that would refuse to unlock a rental car. A technology reporter rents a car from a company called Gig Car Share. Mm -hmm. uh, she rents a Toyota hybrid that's accessed and unlocked by your smartphone and an onboard modem that it's got. Okay. So this was all happening in California, not so far away from Silicon Valley, where things are supposed to work. Anyway, they venture a little bit off-road. They go towards the beach, and they park and go hike. They come back, and they cannot unlock the car. They call the car company, the rental company, and it says there's not enough cell coverage for the car to 
connect to the home office and open it. Mm-hmm. So the resolution was to actually send the physical tow truck. And she was live tweeting all of this. And it was hours and hours. And at some point, it was suggested that maybe she should just sleep in the car <laughs> until they figure, <laughs> figure things out. But they, but they couldn't could open the car to sleep in it, Gene. They, it wouldn't turn on. The car would open, but not turn okay. on. Yeah. Oh, okay. That's ridiculous. Okay. That is incredible. And of course, on top of that, they were entitled to a certain number of rounds when they could turn on the car. So they were rapidly going through their allocation. Ah. So soon, even if it could turn it on, they'd already tried it 20 times, so it wasn't going to do it anymore. So there's a lockout. Bad on many levels. Bad on many levels. But it just goes to show you that operating outside of the scope of what you design is really difficult to predict. No, Shaheen, it just goes to show that people don't think things through and don't do engineering. They live in their own little dream Well, they do it according to their assumptions. And my point is that no matter how good they are, there are going to be cases that they didn't think of. Well, this seems like a pretty big biggie. That's a biggie. You're right. Yeah. Yeah. This is not well thought out at all. New. New. Who else has a catch, Henry? I do Krebs and security. For any of you who have Citrix and use ShareFile or any of those Citrix tools, kind of yucky bad. From five months between 18 and 19, they were making off of personal and financial data in Citrix. Hackers were inside Citrix for five wow. months. Well, that's bad. On the bad scale, I put that yeah, way. Yeah, it's a long time to be sitting there. Yes. Ouch. Well, for me... My catch is a little bit related to that, but McAfee did a demonstration about how you can trick a Tesla car with just a few strips of tape on a speed limit sign to accelerate up to 50 miles per hour over that speed limit. Okay, well, how? You mean the 85? Yep, 85 instead of 35. They put some tape on a sign that says 35. Oh, okay. And it accelerates to 85. I was thinking any sign, stick some tape on it, ta-da. And I was like, wait, how, what? I'm tracking now. (laughs) It's got to be in the right pattern. (laughs) But that's a bad thing where I come from. I don't think that's Yeah, it's a really bad thing. 35 in a school zone and you go to 85, that would be bad. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That really has got to make you think, right? Yeah. Yeah. So on that note, let's go ahead and call this an episode of Radio Free HPC, and we will talk to you all again soon. Be sure and talk to us. We're on Twitter at Radio Free HPC. You can also email us at podcast at Radio Free HPC. So you have no excuses. (laughs) Do it. Do it now. Talk to you soon. Bye-bye. Boom. And there we go. Thank you for listening to this episode of Radio Free HPC. And as a quick note, the views and opinions of Henry Newman are his and do not reflect any policy or position of Seagate Government Solutions or Seagate Technology. Thank you for listening.